Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. You see this picture? This is a, an imagination, somebody's idea of what it would have looked like for Paul. You see something hanging down between Paul and the centurion, the Roman soldier that's behind him. What is hanging there? A chain. A chain. There's something around Paul's wrist or something around the Roman soldier's wrist. And so Paul was imprisoned in Rome twice. The second time he was in prison, he was put in the dreaded Mamertine prison, which was horrible. Um, even bad prisons around the world don't compare to the Mamertine prison back then. And so the first time, though, Paul was on house arrest. And so Paul was dwelling in his own house, Acts 20. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 in a little bit. You can go ahead and turn there. But in Acts 20, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no one forbidding him. So Paul had the freedom to teach and preach. During this time, he uh, was writing letters, including this letter to the church in Philippi. And house arrest in our day usually involves somebody with an ankle bracelet on. They put an ankle bracelet, they lock it in place. It's a piece of technology, it has GPS. And so you cannot leave your property. So if it's functioning well, even if you walk out to the sidewalk and stick your leg out in the street, it alerts them that you have left your house arrest. Um, I don't know that by experience, okay? <laughs> I just read that, okay? So, but in Paul's day, house arrest meant you were chained to a Roman soldier. You were connected to him. And the Roman soldiers would rotate. They would change every four hours, every eight hours, uh, depending on the cycle that they were in. And so uh, got, Paul got a new guard a couple times a day. And he witnessed to him for Christ. And the guard had to sit there and listen while he preached about Christ, while he taught about Christ, while he dictated letters to churches and a scribe wrote them down for him. So in uh, also in Acts 28, it says, when they came to Rome, the Roman centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And uh, as we're going to read later in Philippians chapter 1, uh, some, many of those soldiers that they assigned to guard Paul ended up trusting Christ because they listened to Paul's argument and Paul's explanation and, and Paul's teaching. So, to the believers in Ephesus, Paul said these words, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. In chapter 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. In chapter 6, I am an ambassador in chains. Paul was not angry with God that God let him be put in prison. Paul was trusting God. He used the time wisely to witness for Christ to the guards and to the people who came to see him. 
He wrote several letters to churches that have been uh, protected and preserved by the Holy Spirit. So they're part of our Bible today because Paul trusted God in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So in Philippians chapter 1, look at the last part of verse 7. Paul said, Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all are partakers with me of grace. He encouraged the believers in Colossae to pray for him that God would open a door to us uh, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And uh, later in that same fourth chapter of Colossians, he said, remember my chains. In his short letter to Philemon, he called himself a prisoner of Christ twice and in chains twice in that short letter. So last week we were focusing on finding our identity in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to learn from a man who did exactly that. Because Paul was, and still is, a man wholly committed to Christ. Paul was, and is. Now, as we look at Paul, and we look at some of the things he wrote to the church in Philippi, and another letter that he wrote, um, we're going to be looking uh, this afternoon at one of the prayers that Paul wrote uh, in our 5 o'clock service this afternoon. But our goal is not to learn about Paul. Our goal is not to learn about him, but to learn from him so that Paul can help us to know, love, trust, follow, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would speak in our hearts. I pray that we would examine our hearts by your word, that we would correct our lives to your word, and thank you that you have written this. You inspired the Apostle Paul. He was the writer. You were the author. Thank you that the Holy Spirit preserved this for us so we can read and study it today and be encouraged. And I pray that if there's one here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray they would do that today. They would talk to me or someone else here and say, I want to know Christ. Father, we thank you. Those of us who have trusted Christ, we thank you that it's all by grace. It's a gift we receive by your grace and your mercy. I pray now that we would listen, that we would focus, that we would listen not only to the words of Scripture or the words of the preacher, but also to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Philippians chapter 1, I said we'd look at this, so we are. Look down at verse 12. Paul said, but I want you to know, brethren. Now he uses the word brethren for brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family in Christ. Now you may be here and maybe I've never met you before, but if you have trusted Christ, you're my brother or sister in Christ. We're family. We're going to live in eternity together. And you know, there's some people on planet Earth who might not like you. I can't imagine that. But there might be some out there who might not like you. But in heaven, we'll all get along just fine. Because we'll, it'll be different. We won't have sin natures. We won't have problems. We looked at that a little bit last week at our identity in Christ. 
So Paul calls them brethren. He said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, Paul experienced a lot of heartache, a lot of hardship, and he said, you know what? It's allowed the gospel to spread. So verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my change, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what happened to those guards? They got assigned to Paul. Make sure he's behaving himself. Make sure he's towing the line. And make sure he's not stirring things up. And the guard had to sit and listen while Paul taught and preached. And, and don't you know, I mean, every day they come and they unlock the one guard and they take the shackle off his hand and they put that shackle on the next guard and Paul get a little grin on his face. He was ready. This guy was going to hear about Jesus Christ today. And so Paul was falsely arrested and falsely accused, but he said, the good news is I get to testify of Jesus and all over Caesar's house, soldiers were coming to trust Christ. And then some of them would go back and they talk to other soldiers. And, and I get the idea that some of these soldiers maybe said, I want a chance to be in with Paul. I want to hear Paul. And, and maybe they argued for who got to go in next because God was working. He was beaten for preaching Christ. No problem. I was able to preach about Jesus. He was shipwrecked and bitten by a snake. That's okay. I got to talk about Jesus. Chained to a Roman guard. Hi, my name is Paul. I want you to talk about, I want to talk with you today about the most important person in my life, Jesus the Christ. See, Paul said it all happened to the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul, Number one, Paul evaluated his circumstances by how they could exalt Christ. There is a note sheet in your bulletin if you choose to use it. He evaluated his circumstances by how they could exalt Christ, how Christ could be lifted up. Years ago, my younger sister went to China for a couple of months. She was over there teaching English, but it was through a group that was a Christian group here in the United States, and they went through a training process to be able to go there and teach English, but they also walked people through the cultural things of America because that was important to teaching them English. And of course, they started with Christmas and they ended with Easter, and they walked people through the life of Christ in the process of teaching them how to speak English. Now, the Chinese government wanted to make sure these Americans coming in weren't proselytizing for their faith. So they couldn't stand up and say, you need to trust Jesus Christ or you'll go to hell. But they could teach about, in America, there's this historical thing called Easter, and this is what it means. So they could teach it, they just couldn't ask people to then make a decision. Well, in the Chinese government put spies into their group. They assigned people into that group that were spies for the government to rat them out if they heard them teaching about Jesus. 
One day, my sister was on a bus with one of the guys from the class. They, I don't know the circumstances, what was going on, but they, they were on the bus together, the only two from the class, and there was nobody else. And the guy looks around the bus, and then he says to her, nobody else on this bus can speak English. I don't know how he could tell that, but he could. And he said, so tell me exactly what it means to trust Christ as your Savior. So my sister told him. And then the next day in the class, things went as normal, and then he got alone with her another time and asked her a few more questions, and she answered them, and, and she showed him a picture of Kathy and I and our family, and I was a pastor, and, and so she showed him this picture of us, and, and then this guy, assigned by the Chinese government to make sure these proselytizers didn't come in and teach this stuff, he trusted Christ. Now, they have extremely controlled uh, uh, mail that goes in and out of China. And so everything that he sent out was evaluated by their people to make sure. It did. So he couldn't write out and tell her about growing in Christ. But he wrote her and he told her, he said, hey, tell your brother I'm really enjoying that book he recommended. And I've been reading it with some friends and we talk about it, and it's really helping me make wise choices in my life. And that made it through the censors, and it got all the way to southern Arizona, and we could rejoice that this guy sent by the government to make sure it wouldn't happen. The guards chained to Paul to make sure Paul didn't step out of bounds. They came to Christ. Paul was thrilled. Paul didn't care that he was in jail. He didn't care that he was under arrest. He didn't care that his freedoms were limited because Christ was being exalted. That was the most important thing. That's how he evaluated his life. Remember, we're not here to learn about Paul. We're here to apply it to our lives. So how would you rate on that scale? Do we fuss and grumble or do we rejoice that Christ is being exalted, that God is at work. Look in chapter four, Philippians chapter four. We're going to look at. We're going to come back to chapter one a little later. Uh, we're going to look at several passages in Philippians and another book later. Philippians chapter four, down in verse eleven, Paul said, "Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be with content." Now, Kathy and I didn't particularly enjoy living in Texas, even though God sent us there twice. I lived in Texas as a kid, too, so I've lived in Texas three times. Um, but um, God let us get out of Texas. But Kathy and I used to joke when we lived in Texas, we have learned in whatsoever state we're in to be <laughs> But the truth is, this is the state of your life, the circumstances you're going through. So Paul said, I don't care about my circumstances. I'm okay. And then look how he describes it. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. We like that abounding part, don't we? But sometimes God allows that abasing part, that difficult part, that broken part, that heartache part. And yet God uses it for good in our lives to help us become more like Christ. Romans 8.29 says... Now, the end of verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be 
content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, a lot of people misapply that verse. They say, I can do anything for Christ. I can be an Olympic champion through Christ. I can, well, Paul said, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. So Paul said, anywhere in between, I can be a base, I can abound, and anything in between through Christ who gives me the strength. For Paul, it didn't matter what he went through as long as he went through it with Jesus. That's what mattered. The second thing about Paul is that he rejoiced whenever anyone talked about Jesus. He rejoiced whenever anyone talked about Jesus. So we're going to be back in chapter 1, and we're going to look in verse 15. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul says, For indeed, now, let, before we read this, just let me say, there were some obnoxious people. How many of you have known anybody obnoxious who claimed to be a Christian? Anybody know anybody like that? Okay, don't point. Just, just raise your hand up. Okay, uh, but but sometimes there's obnoxious people who claim to be Christian, but they're not really living like Christ. And so there were some people preaching the gospel, and they were saying things like, "Paul's a bad guy. Look, I'm preaching about Jesus, and I haven't been arrested." I'm telling people about Jesus, and I'm not being persecuted by the government, so therefore, Paul's wrong. Well, no. Paul was a frontline guy. They were not. Paul was advancing the cause of Christ. Paul was a greater risk to the work of Satan than that other guy or those other guys, and so Satan was attacking Paul directly, and those other guys, they weren't being attacked by Satan because Satan wasn't really worried about them. So sometimes people have wrong motives in, in the way they evaluate things. So that's what's going on here. Paul said, some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. They were trying to make Paul feel worse by the way they were preaching Jesus. Bad motive, okay? But listen to what he said. But the latter out of love, knowing I am, a, I am appointed for a defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Are there some preachers today who preach about Jesus, and yet they're corrupt in their hearts and lives? Yes, there are. Sometimes it eventually shows up in their life. Sometimes it doesn't show up till they're dead. It will show up when, they, when we all stand before Christ. Remember, when Jesus sent his disciples out, his apostles out, two by two, one of those two included Judas. Judas went out with another guy, and the other guy couldn't tell the difference between the ministry of Judas and his own ministry because they both talked about Christ, they both preached Christ, they both saw people saved. God knows the difference. The amazing thing is, God works through flawed human beings. So you can turn to your neighbor, you can say, look, I know you got problems, but God can still use you. You can, you can tell them that. That would be legitimate. you got problems, but God can still use you. Because God has always worked through flawed individuals. The only one he worked through that wasn't flawed was who? 
Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus is the only one that wasn't flawed. Everybody else, we have flaws. We have issues. We have problems. But Jesus did not. And so God can work through anybody. But some of those people were seeking to advance their own agenda and not advance Jesus Christ. But Paul said, basically, I don't care what people think about me as long as they love Jesus. Years ago, Kathy and I had a friend. She was interviewing for a job to teach in a Christian school. And in the Christian school, on the questionnaire, it had a question, what do you think about this person and his ministry? He was a well-known evangelist. What do you think about this person and his ministry? And so this friend called me. She said, Terry, I know what they want me to say. Because that evangelist worked with groups that weren't teaching the Bible as accurately. I know they want me to be critical, but my parents got saved through that evangelist preaching. So what should I put? And I, I told her, you, you open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18 and you copy it down. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So that's what she wrote on her application, and she got the job. <laughs> Citing scripture helps when you're applying for a job at a Christian school. But she knew what they wanted. They wanted her to be critical of this person. And I'm not saying there's not a place to be critical. We're not supposed to attack people. But there are times we have to speak the truth, but we have to do it in love. Some people are just hyper-critical. And I think that school was. She worked there for a while, and then the Lord moved her to another place. But Paul said, I rejoice that people are talking about Jesus. Aren't there some preachers and teachers in our world today that do not accurately interpret the Bible? Yes. Can God still use them to bring people to Christ? Yes. Should we partner with them? No. Should we attack them? No. But we should make sure we're trying to do it accurately. And realize that once we get to heaven, there's not going to be, you've maybe heard the joke that guy's walking through heaven with Peter and he's getting the tour and they come up and there's this big, huge wall in heaven and Peter says, shh. Be quiet while we go past this. And then walking past, the guy says, Well, what is it? And you shh. And then get a little further. And they finally get past that big wall. And the other guy says, Peter, what's with the wall in heaven? And Peter said, Oh, those are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> See, there's a lot of people who've never followed Christ the way we understand the Bible. But you don't get to heaven because you follow Baptist doctrine. You get to heaven because you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so he rejoiced when people talked about Jesus. If they didn't do it exactly the right way, he still rejoiced they were talking about Jesus. If they had selfish motives, he rejoiced they were talking about Jesus. And that's who Paul was. Third thing Paul did is he wanted to please Christ. He wanted to please Christ. Now, we're going to look from each of the chapters of Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Philippians 1, 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, 
so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, and that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he wanted to please Christ. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So nothing through strife, nothing through vain glory, focus on Christ. Chapter 3 and verse 7. Philippians 3, 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, I, when I was a kid, my, I was raised in church, and, and my parents gave me my first Bible, and <coughs> I had a privilege not everybody has to be raised by parents who love the Lord and tried to follow Him. And, uh, but uh, I remember talking to my dad when I was a kid because somebody in our church, uh, they loved our church. Our church was really helping their family, and he got a job promotion, and they were moving off somewhere else. And uh, I said to my dad, how does he know that's God's will to take that job? And dad said, well, for most Christians, if there's a pay raise, it's God's will. <laughs> and you know I've been around a bit and I've seen people take opportunities that ended up hurting their families and my dad made other choices dad wasn't perfect he had some serious anger management issues and some other things but I saw dad turn down amazing job offers because he didn't think that would be best for his family. And he took lower pay. He ended up, God blessed him financially, he ended up being a fairly wealthy guy, but it didn't happen because he chose to chase after wealth. He chose to do what was right, to follow God and take care of his family. So Paul wanted to please Christ. He didn't care if he suffered. He encouraged everybody to follow Christ. And in chapter 4, he talks about bringing every part of our life uh, to, to the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 8, finally, brethren, here's what you need to think about. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So think about these things. We can think about all kinds of stuff. We can get obsessed about things. But he said, think about things that are uplifting. Think about things that are appropriate. Think about things that are pleasing to the Lord. Think about things that are edifying and encouraging and don't obsess about fears and anxieties and stresses. Focus on Christ. Exalt him. Lift him up. Paul understood that the successful Christian life begins in the mind, the heart, and the soul. Paul was following 
what Jesus said. That verse that we have worked on uh, as a memory verse for the month of January to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, for this is the first commandment. Paul focused on that, and Paul pursued that. He wanted to please Christ. Someday, we're going to stand before Christ. And we allow things in our life that might not please him, and on that day, we're going to be embarrassed. Some of you can remember back, you went to school, you showed up for the test, and you forgot about the test, and you forgot to study. Some of you have nightmares about that still, right? You're, you're back in high school, and oh no, I've been in the wrong class all semester, and it's time for the final, and yet, you know, uh, yet, yet we have anxieties about life on earth. But Paul said, I'm disciplining the inside of me so that the outside of me can also be pleasing to the Lord. That's what we need to do. We can bring every thought into captivity of Christ. We can pursue him. We, we maybe will fall flat on our face. We might fail every day, but we can get better at it. Now, I've never known a kid who was crawling around and stood up and just started running. It's usually a process. It's nice they learn to walk while they have a diaper for padding when they go down, isn't it? They learn to walk. They bounce and they, you know, unlike weevils who wobble and don't fall down, the little kids wobble and splat. And, and, but they, they get back up and they take off again and they go. And it's a process. And, you know, spiritually, we can do the same process. We can get a little bit better. You know, last time I took three steps. This time, maybe I can get four. Hey, look, I got ten. Well, I can remember being so wildly excited when one of our kids took three steps without holding on to either one of us. Well, at their age now, we'd be really sad if they couldn't do better than that. And God wants to see us grow up spiritually. So let's look at one more thing that Paul did. His greatest desire was to be with Christ. If you jump back to uh, chapter 1, his greatest desire was to be with Christ. I saw a comment. A lady's talking to her pastor, and it was a, a lady back east. She's talking to her pastor, and she said, I know that we're not supposed to lay up treasures on earth. We're supposed to lay them up in heaven. But I'm asking God for this Cape Cod condo at 3% interest. <laughs> See, what's your greatest desire? There are a lot of people today, and we have seen it in church history and in world history, that people who had principle, people who had commitments, people who had a determination till somebody offered them enough money. When they got offered enough money, Kathy and I saw kid, a couple of kids in our Bible school. Uh, they got great jobs. and got a tremendous job offer. And one of them took the job offer, dropped out of school, left his wife and kids, and focused on making money. It'll never satisfy. Money will never satisfy. You'll always want a little bit more. Nothing will satisfy except Christ. 
And Paul's greatest desire was to be with Christ. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body. Pause right there. Pause right there. Christ will be magnified in my body. What you do with your body can please the Lord or not, can give glory to the Lord or not. Paul said, I want my body to please the Lord. Then he goes on, whether by life or by death. We're kind of uh, attracted to the idea of pleasing God in our body while we're still alive, right? We don't want to go through that process of death. There was a young lady in our church in Albuquerque who went to camp as a, as a counselor. She was 18, and she went to church camp up on the mountain there as a, as a counselor to the junior kids. And on a Tuesday night, I think it was, she dedicated her life to the Lord. She said she was going to live for the Lord no matter what, and she did that on Tuesday night. On Wednesday, she led a girl to the Lord. On Wednesday evening, she died of a heart attack, 18 years old. But she led a girl to the Lord. She said, I want to serve the Lord with my life, and she did. Now, she would have liked to have done that for 50 years, but she didn't have that opportunity. We have to let God be in charge. You know, John the Baptist died really young. John the Beloved lived into his 90s. God is in control of the circumstances of your life, but you're in control of your own attitude and your own motivation. Paul said, I want to please God, whether by life or by death. And the most famous verse, I think, written by Paul, Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To me, that's my goal. And then he adds, uh, but if, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. The longer God lets me live, the more fruit I'll build up for my labor for him. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But then he adds, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul said, listen, the greatest thing that could happen to me today, I die. That's what Paul said. The greatest thing that could happen, I'd go be with the Lord. Like the old guy, it's a true story, he was, uh, his kids were around and he was dying and, and, and he was sitting in the, laying in the bed and he was really feeble and they'd been singing uh, Christian hymns like Jim Reeves' family did with him and, and he smiled and his son said, Dad, what's going on? How do you feel? And his dad said, I feel like a kid on Christmas morning because he was going to see Jesus and he knew it would be soon. So that's where Paul, whether it's by life or by death, Paul was not enamored with the things of this world. Now I believe if Paul were alive today, he would have a, a great cell phone. He'd have a terrific cell phone. I would tell you the one I think he would have, but you might argue against it. So, uh, But he would have the best cell phone, and he would have an unlimited data plan so he could use it to communicate with people all around the world. He would have a car that was known for durability. 
that would last and endure so he could travel and go. And, and he would have a large gas budget because he'd be on the road. Uh, but Paul wouldn't spend much time worrying about his clothes or his meals. He'd just eat and keep going, dress and keep going. His greatest desire was to be with Christ. Paul wasn't investing his life building memories on earth. He was investing his life seeking spiritual fruit and laying up treasure in heaven, as Jesus said we all should do. He was totally focused on his love for Jesus Christ and his desire to live with him and be with him. Now, if you can take your Bible and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to very quickly look at a couple of verses or several verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and this, this will, you won't have to do any more turning. Just go to that one. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse number 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knew he was going to die very soon. History tells us that Paul was beheaded for Christ. As a Roman citizen, they couldn't crucify him, but they could take off his head, and that's what they did. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing to all who have this longing, this desire to be with Christ. They will all receive this benefit to be with Christ. You see, theologically, we would say that Paul's life is Christocentric. Theologically, he was totally centered on Christ. That was the focal point of his life. So in Philippians 1.21, when we looked at that verse, he said, for to me, this is the pattern and direction of my life, Paul was saying. To live as Christ, to love him, to serve him, to follow him, to please him, to tell others about him, to live as Christ, and to die is gain, because then I am with Christ. Now, the very first time I went down to Cuba, Kathy and I ministered in Cuba, and the church helped send me there for a dozen years, and Kathy went a couple of times, and the very first time I went, I was there for two and a half weeks. And that was the longest time that Kathy and I had been apart uh, like that, um, where you know I, I couldn't even call her uh, because it was $8 a minute to call home. So I called her once while I was gone. And, uh, but in those uh, two and a half weeks while I was there, when I came home and I got off the plane and I'm coming in and... And I'm thinking, I get to see Kathy, and we still had to go to baggage control and everything. And I came around the corner, and there was Kathy with all the kids. And it was just great joy. And I ran, and I hugged them, and, and scooped her up, and gave her a big kiss. And, and you know, the joy that we've been away, and now we're back. That's what it's going to be like when we go to Jesus. To be with him in the flesh, in the person, when we're in front of him. Because we know him. We walk with him, we trust him, we follow him, and we're going to see him, the one who loved us more than life, the one who paid the penalty for our sins, and we're going to just rush up 
I think there's going to be lots of hugging in heaven, and I'm planning to hug Jesus. And I'm anticipating he's planning to hug me. And no COVID. <laughs> Look at Paul's final words. Philippians chapter 4. Um, in verse 18, he says, uh, The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew that his death warrant had been signed, anticipated that he would be dying very shortly, and he said, the Lord will deliver me. Death is deliverance for those who know Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he closes this letter with the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul was, and still is, a man wholly committed to Christ. So who and what are you? A person partly committed, or a person wholly committed to Christ? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would get serious about following you we would overcome the sins and difficulties that plague us, that we would develop an attitude similar to Paul that says, to me, to live as Christ. Thank you for your love and grace and your patience and your forgiveness when we fail you. Lord, we also please ask that you would give us the strength that we need to do the right things we need to do for your honor Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.